Good morning, SBC. I hope you're all doing really well. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Bryce, and I also work here at the church. I just want to thank you also for sharing uh, that word with us, because today I'm going to be preaching on forgiveness. And as always, it's a great encouragement where nobody else actually knows what I'm going to be preaching on, and yet people come and they share words that are spot on with what we're going to be learning today. So what, what we often do is we tend to be encouraged by certain verses in our walk with Christ. There are certain verses where we just naturally tend to gravitate towards them. When we hear about things like Jesus saying, permit the little children to come unto me. And it paints in our mind this beautiful picture of Jesus sitting under a tree, hugging children and blessing them. Uh, or when he goes and he says, I leave the 99 to go and find the one. We have this picture of Jesus walking through a wheat field and with a fat, fluffy sheep under one arm with a bunch of them following him afterwards. And those images aren't wrong. However, what we do need to make sure we do, consult the whole of God's word, the whole counsel of scripture to make sure that we have an accurate representation of Jesus. Because although those verses sound really nice, and they are, they're encouraging, they're comforting, it's what we need. There are also other places where Jesus would look at his disciples and say, take up your cross and follow me. Where he says, you are going to die to your own old way of life, and you're going to be raised up to newness of life. And so there are going to be some things that Jesus calls out of you and out of your walk with him that are going to be some of the most challenging and trying things that you will ever have to do in your whole life. And I'm going to be preaching on something that was incredibly challenging and trying for me. It was the toughest thing I ever had to do. And that was going to be on forgiveness. What's wonderful is that Jesus knows that we struggle in this area. He knows that our natural tendency is, in fact, to hold on to things rather than to go and forgive somebody for when they've done something wrong to us. But I also want to encourage you that because Jesus knows that we struggle with this, he speaks about it more than other things. If you look at the, the account of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew, you'll find that Jesus goes and he teaches his disciples how to pray, and then he comes back to one thing that he needs to just roll over again just to make sure that these guys get it. And he mentions it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This teaching today is not going to be a, a sermon where you're going to walk away with a huge amount of extra knowledge about forgiveness, but rather it's going to challenge your heart to go and take steps to be a peacemaker and to go and forgive those people, to drop them a message or to pick up the phone and call them. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's found in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35. And so if you have your Bibles with you, you can start turning there so long. The way Jesus lands on this parable, though, is it's not just all by itself. In fact, what happens is right at the start of Matthew chapter 18, his disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, we've got a question. Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is it going to be? And they, you can probably picture them with smiling faces coming to Jesus, hoping that Jesus is going to turn around and go, well, it's you guys. You guys gave up everything. You gave up your fishing vessels. You gave up your tax booths, and you stopped fleecing people of all their money. And you followed me right from the beginning. So you guys are going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus responds in a very different way. He puts forward a few parables, 
puts forward some teaching. And he shows that the one who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven is only Jesus Christ himself. So this is what he says to them as he responds. He says, the greatest in heaven will be those who humble themselves like a child. They realize that every good thing that they have in their life is a gift that comes from God, including their own salvation. He then goes and he says, make sure that you do not lead any of my children astray. He says, woe to those of you who tempt other people to fall into sin. And he goes on to tell a parable about how he leaves the 99 sheep to go after that one and how there's a celebration in heaven the moment that one comes back into God's fold. And finally, as he's, he's answering this question of who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, he gets to forgiveness. And he tells this parable of the unforgiving servant. And this all is to show his disciples that in every one of those areas, God himself is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. When it comes to teaching children truths that are able to save their souls for all of eternity, God does that. We see it week in and week out in Nikki's children's ministry across the way there, where the small children are able to actually come to a knowledge of who Jesus is and they grasp onto him and hold onto him for the rest of their lives. We see that Jesus himself does not tempt anybody. James chapter 1 verse 13 says God never tempts anybody. And when it comes to who is the greatest shepherd, it's Jesus himself. He launches a rescue mission, leaving heaven, taking on human flesh, coming to this world. And he goes and he searches and he seeks out those who are lost. He is the greatest shepherd. And finally, the last final nail in the coffin of this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus sinks his teeth into forgiveness. And he says, those who are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven take seriously this need to forgive. And it all is there to paint this picture for, their, for his disciples that they aren't to be entertaining how wonderfully they're going to be honored one day, how much everybody's going to say, wow, Peter and, and John and James, you guys are the greatest, but rather that their hearts would be captivated with the person of Jesus Christ. That is who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So let's dig into this final parable and let's see what God wants to teach us through the unforgiving servant. Matthew chapter 18, verse 23 to 35. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? 
And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to unpack this teaching of the unforgiving servant. But Lord, not only for us to understand it and have a head knowledge of it, but Lord, would you work in our hearts as we open your word together? Would you really take this message from our heads into our hearts and help us to apply it, Lord, to go out and to forgive? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. My first point for this morning, point number one, is that God is perfect in forgiveness. In this parable, the king over here is symbolic of God. And this king in the story is the one who forgives the most. What happens is he has this, this person who owes him a lot of money. And we often just look past that and we're not too sure how much he exactly owes this king. If you look at some of Jesus' other parables that he tells, like with the three servants where the master is leaving to a distant land, and he gives the one guy one talent of gold, and the next guy he gives two talents of gold, and the last guy gets five talents of gold. That person who received the least amount in that situation, that one talent, was worth 19,900,000 rand. It was a disgusting amount of money that he got given by the master. But those numbers are absolute peanuts compared to what this wicked servant owes the king. He owes the king 10,000 talents. That equates to 200 billion rand. And what he tries to fall onto when he stands before the king is he says, just give me time and I'll pay you back. But the king knows that that's an absolute impossibility. He would have to work for 60 million working days. That equates to working nonstop for somebody for 200,000 years to be able to pay this king back. And so the king sees his situation. Though the servant begs for mercy, he, his only way of ever going free with his wife, with his kids, with the things that he owns, is if he falls on the mercy of this king and the king actually shows him pity and mercy. It's the only way, and that is what happens. The king looks at this wicked servant and he forgives him of his 200 billion rands worth of debt. And he wipes it clean. He absorbs the debt. And then he goes and you would expect that this person would respond in a certain way. You would think that this guy would go, thank you, king, that he would celebrate right there and then. Or that he would go and he would, for the rest of his life, just worship and praise this king for what he has done. But instead, we see that this wicked servant responds rather strangely. He goes straight back to his house. He finds somebody who owes him some money and he begins to choke him. And he says, you pay what you owe right now. Do you know what his servant owed him? A hundred denaria, which translates to 3,300 rand, a manageable amount, something that given enough time, he almost certainly would have been able to pay back to him. And his servant even uses the exact same phrase that his master used when he was standing before the king. He says, have patience with me and I will pay you back. But there is no patience and this guy goes and he starts putting him in the jail. He says, you're going to stay there. You're not coming out until you pay back every last cent. Though he has just been forgiven of 200 billion rand, he cannot look past the 3,300 rand that this servant of his owes him. And that is so true of human nature. We, for some reason, when we are the ones with our heads on the chopping block, we want the mercy and forgiveness for ourselves. But when it's somebody else, then we tend to distance ourselves from them. We don't 
see their need as actually greater than or the same as ours. If you look at the way that Jesus explains uh, that verse in the Lord's Prayer, he says, Father, forgive us. We all want that. We want to be forgiven by God. But then he goes on and says, Father, forgive us in the same way that we have forgiven other people. And I've seen this, this at work about a week and a half ago up at NCO. We were getting ready to, to preach the gospel to the guys on the side of the streets and to feed them food. And Josh, the main translator there, he had gone off to the shops to buy some bread. And he said, Bryce, just go and get Tembisa or Bax, one of the two Fort Hare students, to go and translate. And so I went up to a guy called Tembiso, and I said, Tembiso, I need you to be my translator today. I'm going to preach the gospel. You just translate for me. And he goes, Ish, that's tough. He says, there are some words that you use, sanctification, regeneration. There's big words that in Kosa, I don't actually know what those are properly. And he was quite scared. He said, please, don't make me do it. Please, please, please. His friend, Bax, was standing there mocking him. And he was going, ah, oh, you're a chicken. You're scared. in and, and then it dawned on me, what I want from a translator is I want them to do it as unto the Lord. I want them to know Christ and have a relationship with him. Don't want somebody who doesn't know Jesus to be proclaiming the gospel to these guys. And so I asked him, I said, Tembiso, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And he looks at me and says, to be honest with you, don't actually. I said, it's okay, we can chat about it afterwards. Bax, do you have a relationship with Jesus? And he looks down and he goes, yes, I do. I said, well, buddy, you're our translator for today. All of a sudden, the tables turn. And his friend comes to me, ah, in Kukule, who's the chicken now? <laughs> and his friend started saying, please, don't make me do this. But that is so true of our human nature. When it is our heads on the chopping block, we want this forgiveness for ourselves. But we seem so, I don't know, determined to not give that same forgiveness out to other people. And so we look at this wicked servant in this parable today, and our, our stomach churns within us. We go, that's terrible. He's just been forgiven of 200 billion rand, and yet he can't look past that 3,300 rand. It's terrible. But what would happen if I turned the tables on us? Have you ever struggled to forgive somebody? Have you ever struggled to look past what they've done to you? After all that Christ has done for you, where he has seen your, your mountain of sin piled up to heaven, He's washed it clean at the cross. Do you ever struggle to forgive people? And I know that I certainly have. As I mentioned at the start of the sermon, it's been one of the most challenging things in my life. My second point for this morning, point number two, is why do we struggle to forgive? So I think if we are honest with ourselves, we will readily admit that we are slow to forgive other people and quick when it comes to asking for forgiveness for ourselves. One of the reasons why we struggle to forgive, why it seems to really hurt us so much when people do these things to us, is it comes from unexpected sources that are really close to us. You often entertain in your mind, I can picture that person hurting me or that person hurting me, but never this person who is really close to me, who I am actually vulnerable to. And Jesus understands what that is like. If you look at Psalm chapter 41, verse 9, hundreds of years before Jesus is on the scene, it says, He who has shared my bread has lifted up his heel against me. In the Psalms, prophetically speaking about how Judas, who would walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus, do ministry with Jesus, would also end up 
picking up his heels and running off to go and get 30 pieces of silver and betraying Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be betrayed by those who are closest to him. If you look at politically the landscape that was happening in Jesus' day, you have the Romans who are these brutish, ignorant people that are almost like animals and who are more than willing to crucify just about anybody. And then you have the Jews, God's chosen people, who God comes to save. And you would expect that it would be the Romans that would make that final decision of, we are going to crucify him. But actually what you see is that Pontius Pilate goes and he looks at Jesus, he interrogates Jesus, and then he brings out a a bowl of water and he washes his hands. He says, I can find nothing wrong with this man. He's perfect. I'm washing my hands of the situation. I will have nothing to do with what's about to happen next. And then you look at the Pharisees walking around amongst the crowd, inciting them to violence, saying, guys, yell out, crucify him, crucify him. He's crucified and he's betrayed by the very people that he came to save, by his chosen nation. And that is encouraging for us when we go through these deep trials where you have been betrayed by those closest to you because it means that your high priest is able to relate to everything that you go through. He knows exactly what it's like when that person who you think, surely this person would never hurt me, stabs you in the back. Jesus goes, come, come to me in prayer. Speak to me about it. I know exactly what it's like. What we tend to do is as these hurts pile up in our lives, we have unhelpful ways of dealing with them as well. We hold on to this unforgiveness in our heart rather than handing it directly over to God. And it's exactly like the proverb says, you, it's like grabbing a coal with the intention of throwing it at somebody, but the person who hurts the most is you. You get constantly burnt. And we do this all the time. We, we hold on to this unforgiveness and it hurts us. We don't realize that that other person who has hurt you could probably pass a polygraph test with flying colors saying that they've done nothing wrong because they aren't aware of it and they don't see how much it affects you. Your heart and your soul is not meant to carry unforgiveness. It is meant to carry praise and worship for the perfect Son of God. And I think if I could, if I could sum up while we struggle to forgive other people, I would sum it up this way. We don't trust God to be a good judge. We don't. And we would never say it that way. We would never say it out loud. But what sort of a picture do you think it paints for the rest of the world when the moment somebody does something to you, you feel the need to rise up and to defend yourselves against them as though you don't have the king of all kings on your side looking over the situation. The only one who knows exactly what they are going through as well as what you are going through and who will in his right time, in the right way, in his sovereignty, he will dish out any sort of punishment and judgment that there is. We have a culture that sort of feeds this dynamic that if you don't defend yourself, if you don't rise up and do something about it, then nobody will. My friends, that's rubbish. That's not what the Bible tells us. What Abraham says is, will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And so though the culture may praise the idea of things like Rambo and John Wick and the equalizer, and you've got to go out and fix it, what the Bible tells us is that we have a loving Heavenly Father 
who perfectly understands what it is like to be betrayed, who knows what it's like when people take things out of your life, sometimes permanently, but who also will set things right. And he says, vengeance is mine. As long as you keep trying to pull this vengeance into your side of the court, God will take a step back. He'll say, I will show you that you are not equipped to go and dish out this vengeance. Only I am. And he will wait for you. This unforgiveness also is like a field with two or three dandelions in it. And if you are going to hold on to it, you, you try and fix the problem by going and have unhelpful, uh, situ- uh, unhelpful conversations with people. It's like you're going to those dandelions and just kicking it, kicking the weed that is a dandelion, hoping that it disappears. And for the moment, it seems to work. It makes you feel good when you gossip a bit or you slander somebody who's hurt you. But it won't be long before those seeds all spread. The whole field is just covered in weeds. Don't do that. My third and final point for this morning is that forgiveness is evidence of God's Holy Spirit at work. And what I mean by that is that you cannot actually do this work by yourself in your own strength. When you go and you see what happens at the end of this parable is Jesus says, unless you forgive from your heart, the same thing's going to happen to each one of you. This forgiveness that comes from your heart can only come to people who have tasted and seen the forgiveness that Jesus Christ himself first gives you. And then from the fullness of what you've received from him, you then go out and are able to forgive other people. It's exactly what happens in the parable. Is this person, what we should expect to see is that he's forgiven of 200 billion rand, but then he's able to go out and go, it doesn't matter, 3,300 rand. Are you kidding me? I've been forgiven of 200 billion rand. I can absorb that little debt. I can forgive these people. And the world is waiting. The world is watching to see, is there something genuine about Christianity? Is there something genuine about the life of Christ that's able to transform our souls in such a way that we actually go and forgive people from the heart? And the answer is yes in Christ, not by ourselves. So I want to tell you briefly two stories. It's going to start off with my testimony and we're going to go into the life of Jesus. I used to live on a farm. And when I was five years old, my father was murdered in front of me by one of his farm workers. And he was killed in front of me with a knife. I saw everything. And I somehow, by some miracle, managed to escape that day. But what I didn't escape was the weight of this unforgiveness and this bitterness and anger and this hurt that was in my heart. And for 10 years, I carried that, always thinking back to what I had seen always remembering that at that court case he had been let off completely, not gone to prison. But I remember a day when I was about 15 doing a confirmation course somewhere, where for the very first time, a prayer that I'd prayed a few times, Lord, I forgive this person. For the very first time, I actually prayed it from my heart. I said, Lord Jesus, I forgive Luce. And I handed it over to God. And all of a sudden, it was like this weight that was on my shoulders had just been completely lifted. I remember saying to somebody, it feels like I'm walking on clouds. And what I want so desperately for each one of you is to not just think about this forgiveness or to hear about it in other people's lives, but for you to experience it in your own life. It's amazing. There is a freedom that there is in Christ 
when you are able to forgive somebody and release it into their hands and leave it in, in God's hands. You are not made to carry this unforgiveness. It is too heavy for you. You are made to carry worship and praise of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can't stress enough, it is not easy. You will not do it by yourself. If you find yourself in the room this morning and you're going, I want that, but I don't know if I know Jesus yet. You first need to come to Jesus. You first need to taste the forgiveness that he has for you. And then you will be able to forgive in this way. It's not instant. In my case, it took me 10 years. There were lots of painful moments. But when I reached out to God in prayer, there was a moment where the Holy Spirit and my spirit worked in tandem. I said, today is the day from my heart I'm going to forgive this man for what he's done. It's not easy, but it is possible. And the result is so, so worth it. And finally, we look at the life of Christ. Jesus would never give us such a difficult assignment like going and forgiving people who have taken things out of our life unless he perfectly walks that road himself. And when we look at the, the life of Jesus, what we see is that he gets put on trial unjustly he gets beaten, he gets tortured, he gets whipped, he can barely walk, and yet they still force him to carry his cross up that hill, and they crucify him. They nail his hands and his feet to that cross, and he's hoisted up publicly. With, for you and I, what we often do is when we get into these tough situations, we remove ourselves so that what's really in our heart doesn't come overflowing onto the people around us. But in this moment, Jesus can't go anywhere. He is stuck there. And it is there that you see what is really filling the heart of Christ in this moment. He looks at the people who are busy crucifying him, and he looks up to heaven, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Would you look at the life of Christ? Would you see the forgiveness that he has for you? The sort of love that he has for you? And would you see that your sins that you have committed are exactly like this 200 billion rands worth of debt that God is able to absorb and release you of because of what Jesus Christ has done. He absorbs your debt. He was sinless, and yet he's crucified for the sins of the world on that cross. And I'll be the first one to say here that sometimes we, we get stuck in a rut where we play ourselves out as this tremendous victim. What happened against me and against my family? Yes, that was sinful. It was wrong. He took something away. He took away my father. But compared to Bryce's sin before this eternally holy and righteous God, that is nothing. That's the 3,300 rand that I owe to somebody else that I can absorb through the power that Christ has given me. Look to Christ. Look at your own sin. And see that we are like the servant, but we want to respond differently. We don't want to walk away from receiving this tremendous gift of eternal life from God and then go and hold on to these little splinters of unforgiveness that other people have pushed into our lives. Forgive these people and move to Christ. What it really comes down to is what you want to entertain in your heart. Because you can't be entertaining these thoughts of unforgiveness towards these people who have done something to you while still entertaining how wonderful and majestic the Lord Jesus Christ is. You are going to have to choose. And so I'm going to close off with just some practical tips.
for you as you go into this week. Because I honestly believe that with a message like this, it doesn't really matter too much if you can theologically or academically grasp the concept. What really matters is will you go out and be a peacemaker? Will you go out and see that God is first and foremost reconciling us to himself, but then he sends us out as his ambassadors to go and reconcile us to them and to help them in their walk to be reconciled to God. And so the first tip that I want to give you is as you go out and do this, you're going to have Satan busy planting some really unhelpful thoughts in your mind. And the first one is this. He's going to say, are you really going to let them get away with that? Are you really going to let them walk all over you like a doormat and just get away with it? My friends, you forgiving somebody else for what they have done to you in your life is not you justifying what they've done. It is not you saying that it is okay what you've done. It's not you saying that this is going to continue to happen because I've forgiven you. It's you saying, I forgive you. I don't want this to happen, but I'm leaving vengeance in God's hands. And you can do that. You can forgive. You can leave it in God's hands. We see that Paul actually is really good at this. In his letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. End of story. We don't keep hearing in his letters over and over again about Alexander the coppersmith. He says what happened. He hands it over to the Lord. And he continues with zeal and enthusiasm to do all the work that God has put before him. For some of you, especially in a room this size, there may be some of you where people have done dreadful things to you, where they may have actually crossed a legal barrier. I'm going to encourage you to go to the police and to report them. You can report them while still working through forgiveness towards this person. They still need to be brought to justice, but you can forgive them while the justice is busy rolling out. You also need to understand that in certain cases, not in every case, but in certain cases, there are going to be relationships in your life where you go and you need to forgive that person from your heart as we are commanded to do in Scripture. But it doesn't always mean that that relationship is going to be perfectly reconciled and you carry on staying in relationship with that person. And finally, I want to remind you that God knows absolutely everything about every single one of us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 13 says that all things are laid bare before God. He knows all things, and yet he doesn't choose to reveal all things to everybody. One of the ways that you can know that you're still struggling with unforgiveness is if when this person comes up in conversation, or when they come into the room, you feel your heart drop, and you want to enlighten the rest of the people in the room about what they are really like. Remember that God knows all things about you, good and bad, and he doesn't choose to air your dirty laundry to everybody. He keeps it to himself. Let us follow God's example there. I'll close with a quote by R.T. Kendall. He says, One of the reasons we should want to forgive is because we prize fellowship with the Father more than we prize seeing our enemy punished. We prize fellowship with God the Father and so instead of us wanting in our hearts that person to be so badly punished, we go, I'm going to forgive you because, man, this relationship that I have with God the Father is so much greater than what I've been through. So much greater. 200 billion rand debt. My sin, has, my sin has been squashed and cleared away so that I can have this relationship with Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you so much 
the fact that we are the redeemed. We are the ones who you hung on that cross for. Thank you so much that you have removed our tremendous debt so that we would be forgiven and so that we could be drawn into and reconciled into this relationship with you. And Lord, I pray for those of us who are in the room who may struggle day to day with forgiveness. I pray that you would empower them through the power of your Holy Spirit to be able to go up to those people and forgive them, to drop them a message, to call them after the service, and for us to be reconciled to them. And Lord, I pray for those who are in the building who don't yet know the forgiveness that you have for them. They have heard this, they've heard part of my testimony and said, we want that freedom, we want this weight to be off of our shoulders. Lord, I pray that those people would come to you first and foremost, they would be reconciled to you, and that they would taste this incredible forgiveness that you have available for them in Jesus. And then from their fullness, would they go out and forgive those people. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.